everybody, why don't we stand together, lift up our voices, lift up our hands, lift up our praise and our faith, and give God thanks for who He is today. Hallelujah! Lord, you're worthy, blessed be your name. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. What a great God we serve. Amen? Amen and amen. Good to see you in the house of the Lord. Good to see those of you that are joining us online. Thank you for tuning in. Let's go to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, if you would, and join me there. Um, thankful for heaters that work. Hallelujah. I was coming back from Kearney yesterday from the district board meetings, and the trucks that I was passing had snow on the back. I'm like, oh, Lord, please, no, no, no. And uh, saw a little bit of dusting this morning, and I'm like, Lord, that is enough. You know, I was telling somebody this week, and I said, you know, cold and snow are four-letter words. They're bad words. Uh, anyway, but again, we're here, thankful for a warm building that we can come into. Amen. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. <clears throat> For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. And for just a few moments of your time, in first word, I'm going to uh, treat on this subject, true holiness. True holiness. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, as we say so often, we mean it with every time we say it. This is your church. You are the head of this church. It's not our church. We're glad to be a part of it, God. You and your word alone is the authority and the, and the power to save and deliver and heal. It's anointed and appointed for this moment. And so God, bring us to that place of comprehension and understanding that your word might be fulfilled and confirmed and you might demonstrate by your Holy Spirit and power what you want to do. Let me walk in your spirit and not in my flesh, saying only what you want to be said, nothing more and nothing less. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Isn't the Lord good? Hallelujah. Now, there are some here today who are not married. You might wonder how such a text can be relevant to you. Well, first, let me remind you that 2 Timothy 3.16 says that most Scripture... Oh, sorry, hold on, hold on. Um, yep, there it is. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means He breathes it out. It means He's the one that spoke it. 
It's given by his own uh, word, mouth, breath, etc. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Therefore, we can glean something from this. What we have to understand about Scripture is this. There is a personal application. And I, I like to say that that is the, the literal. What, what uh, um, or no, the personal is for us. The prophetical is, is what is there. It, 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 it happened. But then there's that personal. How can we apply it to our lives? Does that make sense? And so as we look at Scripture, there are things that we can glean from said Scripture and grow and benefit in our lives. Secondly, while the main context does relate to marriage, it also reveals Christ in the church. And if you're a part of the church, you're a part of the bride of Christ. Amen. It also points to the fact that holiness can be used as a tool of evangelism. And that's holiness whether you're married or single. That's holiness whether you're a man or a woman. Some suggest that this passage teaches that as long as you're holy inwardly, the outward doesn't matter. Others overemphasize the outward while not focusing or minimizing at all the inward elements of holiness. Both of these are wrong, and so with the help of the Spirit, I'm Holy Spirit, I'm not going to do either of those. We're going to show how both are needed. You see, what's so amazing about grace is that God saves and redeems us from unrighteousness so that we can reflect His love, mercy, and glory. How many of you know the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags? That means the sum total of all that we can do that's right, holy, and good equals filthy rags. Therefore, we need His righteousness. 2 Corinthians talks about how that he became our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. In other words, He became something that He was not, our sin, so that we could become something that we could no wise attain on our own without Him. We can't be righteous without God. And so true holiness, in a simple nutshell, is reflecting the mercy, the love, the grace, the fruit of the Spirit, all of those things, it's reflecting Jesus Christ. We're like the moon. We have no light of our own, but we reflect the sun's light. In our case, it's the S-O-N, sun's light. So the practice of holy living inwardly and outwardly shows appreciation for God's salvation. When I practice holiness inwardly and outwardly, it's the same as me saying, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And thus, we need to do it. Praise God. Well, let's first talk about the first couple of verses and what they mean. And, and I want to kind of focus on holiness and evangelism here together. It says, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the chaste conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Now the word likewise at the beginning of this um, verse links us to the previous chapter. I want to reiterate that when the Bible was originally written, when Peter originally wrote this and scribes translated it or uh, 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 wrote it you know, for more copies of it, it was a letter. There was no chapters and verses. So 
chapter 3, likewise, verse 1 there, is not a new theme necessarily. It likewise is indicating, just like I just talked about. Well, what did he just talk about in the previous chapter? He talked about submission. And if you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about my message, I was submission silences fools. And that's, that's what he's indicating here in these verses. And so it connects us to that. But Paul, or Peter, this time now focuses in his attention to the marriage and what submission looks like therein. However, there's a unique reality that Peter brings up when he begins talking about the husband and wife. When Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, talks about marriage, Paul compares it immediately to the mystery of Christ in the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, submit unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. In other words, he makes the comparison there, husband and wife are a representation of Christ in the church. It's why you've heard me say many times, and I say this to couples whenever I'm, when I'm talking to them, especially when they're in premarital counseling, I'm like, you have to realize that the first place your neighbors, your coworkers, and one day your children are going to see Christ in the church is in your marriage, not in Sunday school, not in the youth pastor, not in the bishop, not in the church. It's going to be seen in the home. And let's just get downright technical. God created man and woman, and there's two genders. Amen? I'm not going to get sidetracked, but that's a, that's a good message right there in and of itself. Male and female created he them. Okay? He then performed the first marriage ceremony, making him the author and authority of marriage. And by default, the family, because he said, be fruitful and multiply. That was long before the church was created. Church is important because we're the family of God and the bride of Christ. But we have to realize our homes are also important. Let me just pause here to say this. If the only Bible reading and prayer and worship you're getting is on Sunday or Wednesday, you are doing yourself a disservice. Your home should also be a place of prayer and worship and Bible reading. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you've been divorced and are remarried. Your, your home should also be a place, your life should daily be a place where you're worshiping God. I don't just worship God when I come here on Sunday and when I come back on Wednesday. I'm worshiping Him all the time. Okay, I don't want to get too far down a rabbit hole here, but we have to understand that. So, so when Paul writes, he's saying Christ and, and, and you know, the church, husband and wife, right? However, when Peter brings up the husband and the wife, it appears the husband's not saved yet because he's going to be won by the word and her chaste conversation. Okay? So it would appear in Peter's example of that, they're married, praise God for that, but she's coming to church, but he ain't yet, okay? I want, I want to make sure we understand that. There's a, there's a difference because it, it relates to the reason I'm saying this also connects to evangelism, okay? So what we see here, though, is the wife is 
in subjection to her husband, honoring God's order, even though her husband yet hasn't been won by the word or her chaste conversation yet. In other words, she's still living it in hopes and prayers and beliefs that he is going to be saved. Hallelujah. I, I hope it goes without saying, but if, if that's the case in, in a family in your life, keep praying, keep believing, keep hoping. God can save that unsaved spouse. Amen. There are some key words in these two verses that help us uh, to understand. They explain God's reason for speaking them. Let's first look at the word subjection. This means to subject oneself to, to obey. I want to just point out here that subjection is not done by force. Okay? If I say to Shannon, submit to me, woman, that's not how it's going to work. Okay? And if any of you know Shannon, she has her own mind. And help me, Jesus, she knows how to use it. <laughs> right? So I'm, I'm not going to force her into subjection. But by my loving her as Christ of the church, doing my part, she will see that, desire that protection that, does that make sense? Okay. So subjection here is the wife willing to subject herself, willing to be obedient, and does it willingly and God honors her and favors her. And again, in the literal context, she's doing this and the husband ain't saved yet. Now, I, I do want to make a pause here because I've been asked the question before, you know, uh, should I submit to my husband if he's not yet, you know, Holy Ghost filled and all that? Well, in this case, I would say yes. However, if that husband ever asks you to do something outside of what the Bible says, then you submit to God. God supersedes that. It's just like I preached a few weeks ago that I'll submit to the government. But if that government ever tells me that I can't preach the apostolic truth of this word, I'm no longer submitting to the government. I will say what Peter and John said. Huh, you decide, uh, you know, should I obey you or God? Well, rhetorical question. I'm obeying God. Make sense? And so in the same sense, if that's the case, that wife should obey the Lord. But as long as that husband is not asking her to do something outside the word of God, submit. Now, what's some things outside the Word of God? Well, you can't go to that church anymore. Well, I ain't submitting to that. I'm going to church. I'm going to live for God. I want my babies to go to heaven. I want my family to go to, you know what I mean? I wouldn't submit to that. It, it, you know, okay. Uh, subjection is not suppression. It's not oppression. It's not demeaning. It is the wife fulfilling her role, being a suitable helpmeet, to and for her husband, offering her perspective on matters and letting her husband shoulder his God-given responsibility of leading his wife and family, protecting them and realizing the worth of his wife. I was talking to a couple recently, and he said to me, well, I just wish she would, you know, uh, make the decision. I said, well, that's not her job. It's your job. You're the husband. You're the one to make the decision. She's not just pivoting because she don't want to make the decision. She's offering you her opinion. She's giving you what she believes is, is the right course of action, but it's up to you to make that decision. 
My wife would probably tell it like this if she was preaching this message. You know, she'll tell me, Myron, I think we should do this and that. And, and if I'm right, you know what? Later she'll tell me, hey, you were right. I'm glad we went with what you thought. And if I'm wrong, she doesn't always rub it in. But there have been times she's let me know, well, I did say we should have done this. To be a smart husband is going to weigh in the value of his wife's input. Okay? So therefore, when a couple shares the goal of making their marriage and their family a godly home, God maximizes the effort of both the husband and the wife as they fulfill their roles. Now, if you're single, this is why it is critical to ensure that your spouse loves God more than you. I'm going to say that again. It is critical to ensure that your spouse loves God more than you. I love my wife, and I will give myself up for her according to what Scripture says, but I will not go to hell with her, and she won't go to hell with me. In other words, if, if, if she backslides, I'll pray for her, I will love her, I will weep over her, uh, and, and hope to God she returns, and vice versa for me, but I ain't joining her, and she ain't joining me. The wife Think about this, if the wife in Peter's example did not love God more than her husband, she would not subject herself to him, nor practice a chaste conversation to win him to the Lord. Equally, if the husband didn't love his wife, and there's a, this husband, even though he's not yet saved, values his wife enough, values her enough to say, I'm going to at least listen to her, I'm going to at least observe this chaste conversation, and see her efforts of subjection to him, even though he's not yet saved. Let me put a plug here real quick as well for uh, some things at TCOO. Um, we do our best to try to help the discipleship element of the church. And, and we've got more things coming in the new year, and I'm excited about that. But three quick things that are already working right now that you can tap into, and that is this. If you're single and, and you're thinking about getting married or whatever, talk to Lucas and Alicia. They're, they're about to become Symbus certified instructors and to help with premarital counseling. Symbus means save your marriage before it starts. And see them, talk to them, get with them. Uh, our, our kids, Brooklyn Collin, went to them and, and were blessed to receive that instruction. That's, a, that's a, a tool that can be used to help you. It's based on godly principles. Number two, if you're a young couple with children, Pastor Trevor and Tabby and Joey and Alex are, are leading a group called Family by Design. And there's a lot of fellowship aspect to it, but there's also some instruction aspect. In this new year, they're going to encourage elements of discipleship and teaching and training. If you're married and you want to maximize your marriage, talk to Shannon and I. We're doing a Gottman group. Some of you in here have been a part of it. Some of you have been a part of it twice and, and, and are you're taking it a second time. And it's a great time of fellowship, but it's also a great time of instruction and learning and vulnerability and how we can be better. Why are all these important? I'll tell you why they're important. Because the enemy is, is out to destroy the home. These gender attacks, this redefinition of gender, redefinition of marriage, all of this. And, and, and a few years ago, supposedly the Supreme Court finding that it's okay to have gay marriage in the, in the Constitution. All of that is an attack against God and His purpose. He's the creator. He is the establisher of it. And everything that comes against that is an attack to, to undermine and destroy that. And so we have to protect our homes. We have to protect our families. Amen? 
Because they are the bedrock of society. They are the bedrock of the word of God. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. Chaste conversation is another phrase that we want to dig into and see what it means. It means pure from every fault, spotless in all manner of life, conduct, and behavior. Wow. That's a high standard to live up to. Amen? So what does this mean? Contextually, it means this. It means the wife doesn't nag or beg or act disrespectfully towards her husband. She will win her husband not by her own words, but by living according to the words of God, by her walk. In other words, she will walk her talk. Yet because of her walk with God, the husband will then believe God's word. That's what chaste conversation means there. Adjectives such as meek and quiet later in the chapter define what that is. She's gentle. She's unassuming. She expresses herself in a beautiful wardrobe of submission. Another one, of course, I said is quiet. This refers to her disposition. doesn't mean she's quiet in the sense of afraid to, to voice her opinion, afraid to, uh, you know, counter uh, with a counter opinion it's just she does it in such a way that's not boisterous or causes disturbances she just speaks the truth in love another example of chase conversation that happened just recently in our church was a lady come in and how many have been hearing me say for about the last month if someone is sitting in your seat not to be offended by that right a few of you yes shaking your head i got some baptist nods and some methodist waves and Okay, good. All right. Praise the Lord. And Pentecostal. Yeah, there we go. Okay. All right. Well, that's happened. <laughs> and this lady come in and she went to sit down where she was, you know, normally sits and there's people there. So she moves and sits somewhere else. And she testifies that she met somebody that she otherwise wouldn't have met and loved it. And far as I'm, from what I heard uh, coming through Pastor Lucas was she's not going to Set in the same place twice now. She's going to try to meet new people. It, it opened up an avenue for her. So she took what could have been bitter and bad, oh, they're in my seat, to, huh, I'm going to meet somebody new. That's an example of a chaste conversation. I am deeply and fondly attracted to my wife's physical beauty. However, I am equally attracted to her inward beauty, her character, her integrity. In fact, those make her outward beauty that much more attractive to me. That's an example of chaste conversation. Chaste conversation is living a pure and holy life despite what your husband does. Despite what others do. And again, let me now bring this to the whole church aspect. While this context deals with husbands and wives, all of us must live clean, pure, holy lives that reflect the mercy and the grace and the holiness of God. I have a lot of people saying, especially as we approach the holidays, we need to put Christ back in Christmas. And I'm like, we need to put Christ back in Christian. <laughs> Not just once a year. I've heard people say, I wish they'd put prayer in school. Do you pray in your home? Right? Chase conversation is living holy, reflecting Jesus Christ and His glorious light. It's not just saying we live in a dark world. It's being the light. It's shining the light so that others can see and be saved. 
When people see your chaste conversation, and notice it's coupled with fear. That's the fear of the Lord. When they see that, they will see hope. They will see truth. They will see love. They will see mercy. They will see kindness. They will see peace. They will see Jesus. They will see what they're missing. And that will win them to the Lord. Be the light because holiness is evangelism. And let me also say this. The distinction of biblical separation that we practice, inward and outward, does not hinder evangelism. Instead, it fuels our efforts to be authentic and effective in evangelism. Pastor Jeremy Cole recently shared with me that someone on his job told him that his walk was joyful. That's an example of, of what I'm describing, that chaste conversation. He's not a wife and, and all, but how it can apply to evangelism. His joyful walk testified to somebody at his job. We must preach the gospel everywhere to everyone. But just remember, your lifestyle will either confirm or deny what you say. While that sinks in, go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. First <clears throat> Peter 3, verse 3. Whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of plating the hair and wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trust in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. <clears throat> I read that to my wife one day, and I said, honey, you should be calling me Lord. And she said, oh, yeah? You think so, right? <laughs> well, that's not what that is meaning there. It's just a further example of that subjection and her fulfilling her role and the man fulfilling his role. Well, let me just say something here <clears throat> as we start this part of the message. God cares about what you wear. He does. That's outward adorning. Let me prove it. Adam and Eve... Eat the fruit, right? She is tempted. She's deceived. She eats, gives her husband. He eats with her. And what happens? Bing! Immediately their eyes are open. Now, I don't mean to be, please allow me to say this without getting your mind in the gutter and go, you know, rated R with me here. They've been walking around naked already, married and, and happy and fine. But all of a sudden their eyes are open and they're ashamed. Guilt, fear, shame, all of these things immediately just 
for the first time ever. They are shocked with this. They are, they, you know, imagine something that scared you uh, in life. Uh, I remember one time Shannon uh, could not find Braxton. We were down in Jonesport, uh, and she was calling his name and calling his name and could not find him. And she began to think the worst. Oh, my God, the wave took him out. He's drowned, whatever. And he was playing behind a rock and just didn't answer. And after about, I think it was an hour, finally he said, Mommy, are you calling me? And you can imagine, she's like, you better believe I'm calling you. But that fear that gripped her. So I want you to think about something that made you afraid like that for the first time in your life or whatever. Imagine this coming all at once. Shame and fear and guilt and bam, they're like, oh. And what do they do? They sew fig leaves. Again, please, I'm not trying to be overly graphic, but that was about the equivalent of a pair of underwear. It did not cover very much of their body. Well, then, to make matters worse, they hide themselves. As if you can hide from God. Right? God comes down. Where are you? He doesn't ask that because he doesn't know where they are geographically. GPS, you know, global positioning system. Well, at that time, it was God's positioning system. He knew exactly where they were, the exact longitude. It was a spiritual question. It wasn't a geographical one. And we know the story, Adam. The woman you gave me. Wow, Adam, what a guy you are. (laughs) You gave her to me. It's her fault. Turns to the woman, what? The serpent. And what I call Adamitis, point the finger. We're living in that today. It's rare when you hear somebody take responsibility. Yeah, I did this and I failed and I'm sorry. Whoa, wow, I forgive you. Just, man, that's great. Usually their parents, you know, kids do that all the time. You know, who did it? I don't know. They point the finger. They blame the dog. They blame whatever. Comes all the way from Adam. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate it. God curses the uh, serpent, gives the first messianic prophecy. He will come, born of a woman, crush the head of the serpent, bruise his heel. That's, that's messianic. That's Calvary. It's Jesus coming. Right, the woman's going to bear uh, children, the, the husband and now is going to work and toil the, the, by the sweat of his brow. And God is going to expel them from the garden. But before he does, you'll read, I think it's about verse 21 in Genesis 3, he makes them coats of skin. Your covering, Adam and Eve, your fig leaves that was the equivalent of underwear is not enough. I need you to be covered with a coat. You look that up in the Hebrew, and it's like a robe-like garment. It's stretched from above their shoulders to below their knees. It covered God's measurement of modesty. God cares about what we wear. Now, that's the literal element I'm tying in. But let me also bring a spiritual element. We can't cover for our sins. Something had to die to create that coat of skin so that Adam and Eve could live. Jesus had to die so that you and I could live. We had to be covered by His blood so that we could be redeemed and atoned. Amen? And our attempts to cover ourselves does not work. Hallelujah. Therefore, the practice of Outward holiness and modesty still today points to God's covering. I want to be holy. I want to be like Jesus. 
But also, God cares about who you are. So God cares what you wear, but God also cares about who you are. Everybody say inward holiness. So he, he cares about the outward adorning, but he also cares about the inward adorning. It's not either or. Some people want to focus on all of this, the outward. You better have the outward fixed up. Rah, 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 rah. Praise God. But meanwhile, people are prejudiced in their hearts. That's not holiness. you got other people that say, oh, that don't matter just as long as it's in the heart. It does matter. The Bible is clear with it. Paul talked about it in, in one of his epistles. It's not just an Old Testament principle. And by the way, Adam and Eve are long before the law. And Timothy and, and, and Peter are after the law. Jesus looked at the Pharisees. He said, you're whited sepulchers. You look good on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones on the inside. Inward is just as important as outward. So what is inward beauty? What is inward adorning? What is, what does that look like? Well, biblically, from our text, it's the hidden man of the heart. You see, a lot of people use the argument, well, God sees the heart. And they go from Samuel when he thought it was the first six brothers of David. And God said, no, it's not them. It's the runt. God looks on the heart. It's, it's, that doesn't mean that that becomes an excuse that outward holiness is not important. That just lets us know that God has the ability to see the heart. Amen? And so he can see the hidden man of the heart. That's integrity. It's what you are and who you are when nobody is looking. Not corruptible. This is also that same integrity, but now it reveals that integrity never goes out of style. If I was preaching this and it was 1963 instead of 2023, I'd probably be in bell bottoms today. Right? Hello? It'd be a polyester suit. Right? Oh, that was the 70s? Okay, well, all right. If, well, I'm jumping a decade. I'm in the 70s now. That'd be a polyester suit, right? Okay? I remember one time, uh, my first youth convention, I was 16, I had a Don Johnson coat. Anybody remember those? Don John I had white pants, no joke, white pants, pink shirt, gray pinstripe Don Johnson suit with, with the sleeves like this. I mean, let me just show you. I was cool. Sleeves rolled up over the coat. And then you had to also, you know, I mean, I'll tell you what, when my wife saw me like that. She's like, whoo. I even had hair. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, That not corruptible, it doesn't go out of style. Those Don Johnson suits have gone out of style. We don't wear polyester suits anymore. We're not wearing bell bottoms. Who knows? Somebody might bring them back. I don't know. I'm not going to wear them. But, right? They, the style has changed. Anybody remember 8-track tapes? Anybody not remember 8-track tapes? I remember cassette tape. Remember when they went from that to clear you could see through? Whoa. That was like an upgrade. And then CDs. And then mini CDs. I remember when I got my first LP. If you don't know what that is, look it up. <laughs> I thought I was something up. Michael Card, LP. Man, wow. 
put the needle on. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what's funny? There's so many people buying that stuff now. Brooklyn brought one. She was dad, a record player. I'm like, it's not new technology. <laughs> and then Steve Jobs a few years ago stood up and held up an iPod and changed the music industry forever. But integrity never goes out of style. It doesn't change with the time. Inflation can't affect it. Whoever is in office can't affect it either way. Integrity always is in style. That's why it's not corruptible. And then it's a meek and quiet spirit. Again, I'm taking these from the text that we're reading here. This meek and quiet spirit is the humility and not being impressed with one's own self-importance, but rather knowing that being humble reveals God's glory and reveals His order in an otherwise chaotic world. Do you realize that creation, the, the, the account of creation, Genesis 1 and 2, is all about God taking chaos and making order out of it? Did you know that the word world there or earth means cosmos or order? He takes the chaos of the brokenness, of emptiness, of blackness, of all of this without form and void, and he creates order. And before there is disorder in the family, before there is disorder in the home, before there is disorder in the world, he establishes the order of the family, the husband, the wife, the children. But it is sin that comes in that brings disorder. Which is why Christ in 1 Corinthians 15 is called the last Adam. And just as we've been born of the first Adam and born into that disorder and born into that sin, we can also be born again and take the nature of the last Adam. Amen. And bring order back in to our otherwise chaotic world. That's yet another reason why the family is so important. Wives, let me just say this, and all ladies, your beauty does not come from the price tag you paid for that piece of clothing. It does not come from dolling yourself up. Thank you for taking care of yourself, but that's not where your beauty comes from. You need to understand you were fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Do not take your cues from the fake society and the beauty of this world that tries to define what beauty is. There are ample stories of models who are starved and then uh, photoshopped and all of this to look beautiful, and it's not even real. Take your cue from God. Husbands, tell your wife she's beautiful and mean it. And, and, and dads of daughters, tell your daughter before some stupid punk does. Can I just be blunt for a minute? If you're not telling them they're beautiful, they're going to hear somebody tell them they're beautiful. And, and things may happen that you don't want to happen. Tell your daughter she's beautiful. Tell her that living for God and living according to His Word is beautiful. Let her hear it from you, genuinely, who would give up your life for her before some stupid punk at school tells her she's beautiful and says, if you really love me, prove it. Yeah, I'll prove it. Hey, it happens. And if they haven't felt that at home, they're going to find it somewhere. 
Can I, can I just be real for, with you for a minute? Uh, husbands, if, if you want your wife you know, to, to reciprocate and love you, make sure she feels loved because if not, she's going to find that somewhere else. And same with wives, that husband's going to find it somewhere else. Maximize your marriage. Now, all again, all this ties in and contextually, and that's why I'm trying to balance both. It is contextual to the husbands, to the wives, to the marriage, but it also applies to everyone regardless of your marital status. Every one of us must have chaste conversation. Every one of us must live this life of, of holiness before our world. It's a tool for evangelism. The inward characteristics that we affirm affirms our outward lifestyle of holiness. Listen to what Brennan Manning said. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge with their lips, Jesus with their lips, and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. What I do here on Sunday better be who I am on Monday. Because classmates, coworkers, friends, family, neighbors, they're not looking for religion. They're not looking for ritual. They're not looking for the same old, same old. They're starving for a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ that will transform them. And I know the way to that. Therefore, as we live daily, holy lives, we can either confirm or deny the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught what true discipleship looks like. Luke 9, 23. If any man will come after me, and man there is, is in the gender neutral, any person, if any person will come after me, watch this, let him deny himself. The world is all about selfie. The world is all about, you know, you know I'm taking a selfie while I'm giving a handout to the poor. Look at me, I'm blessing the poor. It's all about a, a selfie generation. We're more worried about taking pictures of, of where we are than enjoying where we are. I've seen people go to, you know, like Grand Canyon and other things, and they got more pictures of them and, and their food and, and all that than, than just taking in the beauty of what they're at. Deny himself. And watch, watch this next part. Take up his cross daily. And follow me. Listen, the cross of Jesus that we carry is not convenient. It's not something you can put in your purse or pocket hiding it from the world. It's not a bougie cross. Not a decorated cross. It's a cross that we carry, much like Jesus carrying his up that hill, to reveal that he is the Lord of our lives and we want other people to see Jesus in our lives. It's not just what I do here today. It's who I am every day that matters. And that brings up the last verse. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. That the Bible calls her the weaker vessel would that not imply that the husband is weak? Because if she's weaker... I'm not trying to take the Bible out of context. I'm just trying to say, let's be careful when we say our wives are the weaker vessel. Well, that just means you're weak too. The reality is this. 
We all are weak without Christ. And yes, the weaker vessel implies the fact that she's physically and typically you know, not as broad shoulders as, as men and all of that. But what it's saying is, and it also is tying into Eve. Eve was deceived, the Bible says. Adam wasn't. But it's also implying that I'm also weak. Which is why the rest of the verse, we've got to be heirs together. Because what she's weak in, I can be strong in. And likewise, what I'm weak in, she can be strong in. Well, that's good preaching. The context here is also pointing to the fact of being heirs together. But let me point out something else. Any husbands in the room ever felt like your prayers were hindered? Could it be that you're not doing what the Bible tells you to do? Because it says, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. But let me bring it to everyone for a minute. The church is the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. If I'm mistreating the bride of Christ, my prayers will also be hindered. Well, it's true. A husband that honors his wife is a faithful husband. Honoring means that he provides for her spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, and even financially. You heard a few weeks ago Shannon say that she, she thinks I wake up every day to make her life easier, and I do, and that's honor. She also said, while standing on this platform, that if you want to make me angry, then do something against her. And that's also true. Well, how much more then does God get angry if we mistreat his church? Prejudice has no place in the church. Because if you're prejudiced here on this side of, of the rapture, you won't go. We, we used to say, if you can't get along down here, you won't get along over there. You can't get along down here, you won't go over there. Because when you read John, that great company of people is of every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. It's everybody. If you ain't liking them down here, you can't get along down here. Well, you better find an altar and pray through real fast. Your heirs together. We are to complete one another, not compete with one another. The New Living translates uh, part of 1 Peter 3, 7 this way. Here's from the New Living Translation. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. I don't want my prayers to be hindered. I refuse to live under a closed heaven. God has too many promises for, his, for my family and for his church. Therefore, I'm going to honor Shannon, and I'm going to honor you, the bride of Christ, and I'm going to experience the open windows of heaven so that he hears my prayers and answers them. Amen? That means, guess what? Honoring is a part of being holy. We've talked about inward holiness. We've talked about outward holiness. Honoring is both inward and outward. It's, it's my attitude inside. It's my mindset and perspective. But it's what I do as well on the outside. Society and culture must never influence the church. Remember, you will either leave your mark on this world or this world will leave its mark on you. C.S. Lewis once commented to an American friend, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. Even if 10% of the world's population had it, 
Would not the whole world be converted and happy before the year's end? God's word teaches us in 2 Corinthians 6, 4, uh, 14. And, and I'm not going to read all this. It just says, be not unequally convo- uh, uh, yoked. It talks about uh, the, the concord between Christ and Belial. And that doesn't exist. And, and then he gives promises. I will dwell with you. I will be with you. I will be your God. I will walk with you. I will receive you. Go to uh, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, though. Okay? So what I just alluded to was 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. And God gives a bunch of promises there, a lot of I wills. I think there's four or five of them stated in the text there. Now watch what he says in 7 verse 1. Having therefore these promises. What promises? The promises I just alluded to. The promises that are found in 14 through 18. The promises of being separate from this world and being like Christ. And he's going to walk with me and be with me and be my God and all of this. Having these promises, what should I do? Cleanse myself from all filthiness of the flesh. That's outward and spirit, that's inward. I should be perfectly pure, both inward and outward, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. A few weeks ago, I preached and I said, if you do what you can, God spoke to me in 2019. If you do what you can, I'll do what I can, God said, right? If I'll do what I can, because the impetus is upon me cleansing myself, inward and outward. If I'll do my part, God will do his part, fulfill his promises. I want him to walk with me. I want him to lead me. I want him to guide me. I want him to be my God and know my name and me know his name. And if I'll do my part, cleansing myself inwardly and outwardly perfecting holiness, he'll do his part. Well, amen. Hallelujah. Why don't we stand together? And why don't we do something different today? It's... Two minutes before, by the time I'm done explaining this, it might be one minute before we take our break. Why don't you find two or three people that during the break you can go honor? Because honor is holiness. If you're a husband or wife here, go tell them something that's genuine and heartfelt. If not, and you're not married, that's fine. Go find someone else. Go find another member of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and tell them something that you appreciate about them and honor them. Because honoring is holiness. And I want you to know, I honor all of you. It's a privilege to be your pastor. It's an honor to serve you, to lead you, to help you. Some some of you call me, I don't want to be a bother. You're not a bother, I promise. It's what I live to do. So I honor you. I honor you for loving God. I honor you for living for God. I know the economy's crazy right now. Inflation's out of, out of whack right now. But I honor you for honoring God with your tithes and offerings still. Thank you. I honor you for being here. Thank you. You could be somewhere else. You could have slept in today and said, it's too cold. I'm not going, you know. But you're here. Thank you. I honor you. I love you. Now go honor some other people.